0: Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, first of all, we're just so grateful just for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you're a good, loving, merciful God. Lord, we thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that you do reign sovereignly over the entire earth. And Lord, that despite what we see, despite what we experience, despite what we feel or hear or even think, Lord, we know that you're in control. Lord, your plans are good. They are for a hope and a future. And Lord, we thank you for it tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go and have a seat. You know, as uh, man, I love that song, that, that Waymaker song. That is just fantastic because God is a Waymaker. And one of the, one of the verses in there it talks about even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it you're working. You never stop working. You never stop working. And that is absolutely true. That's the whole message of the Bible. From Genesis all the way to maps, God is working. God is in control. He's, he set a plan in place the second he decided to create. And that plan is moving forward. And despite the, the failures of man god 's plan will come to pass That's right. That's right. there 's nothing that can t- can hinder him there 's nothing that can stop him. He has decided, and no one will reverse it That's right. so in that whole process, the thing we have to remember that god is is that God is always in control. you know one of the things pastor says is you know God never says, whoa, how did that happen? Where did that come from? What, do you, what? How, what will i be? How in the world? God never does that. God's never surprised. And he's never overtaken by fear. He doesn't worry. He's not concerned. And it doesn't matter what the enemy does. Because God will always outmaneuver the enemy. I mean, that's the whole message of the cross is in the midst of what appeared to be the greatest defeat. Jesus brought about the greatest victory. So in our lives, you know, one of the things that, that Carlito, um, if you don't know Carlito, he's the one on the, the keyboard, was, was saying in the middle of that song, when we were singing the full song, was, you know, there's, there's sometimes in, in our lives where we kind of lose perspective, where you know, our circumstances, our hopes, our dreams, things have happened to us, or things are happening around us, and we forget that God's in control. We, we get discouraged. We get overwhelmed by all the stuff that's going on, and if you watch the news for five minutes, you're overwhelmed in five minutes, because, <laughs> boy, is there stuff going on right now. So there's, you know, there's things going on, on on the national and world levels, but there's also things going on in each of our lives. Right. So as, you know, as Carlita was saying that and praying that, one of the things I thought of was how many people here tonight could say that currently in your life, you've got to a point where you're You're discouraged. And not just discouraged, because we all get discouraged at one point or another, or in one circumstance or another, but you're discouraged to the point where you not necessarily are going to quit, but you feel like quitting. Anybody experienced that? You're like, you know, wh- why, why, why do I even bother? No matter what I do, nothing works out. No matter what I do it just never ends up working for my good. You know, we, we we know that verse in Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we're wondering, mm, you know, I'm not sure if that should even be in there because my experience doesn't line up with that. But we forget it's tied to verse 29. That's Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But... It's not a standalone verse. It's connected to verse 29, which says, For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. The good in 28 is the character of Christ in 29. It's not necessarily our good in the sense of it always works out for me. But it does always work out for you in the context of becoming more like Christ. So what does that actually mean? You know, it's great to say those things, and, you know, we say we have all these cliches and all that stuff, you know, it's great, and we, we, we quote verses, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that, but oftentimes, that's where we stop. We don't actually explain what does that mean. What does it mean for the character of Christ to be my good and actually work out for the good? What does that actually look like? How does that actually work? And in the context of your life right now, I don't know what the circumstances are. You do because you're living them. In the midst of those circumstances, how in the world is God going to work this out? How in the world is God going to work this out to where it is for your good in the context of the character of Christ and in the context of him fulfilling his purpose for you? You know, one of the things we say here at Turning Point Church is we're all created on purpose for a purpose. And oftentimes we wonder, what in the world am I here for? Now, was this trip really necessary? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What What is my destiny? You know, sometimes we, we've we completely forgotten about destiny and purpose. We we're like, what, I just want to get through today. <laughs> I just want to get through next week. I just want to get through this circumstance. So I want to look at a, a principle within the kingdom that is going to apply to whatever your circumstance is tonight. I don't know what it is, but the principle... Will apply, and that's one of the things about the Bible is there are principles, there are kingdom principles within the Bible that apply regardless of the context of the circumstance. So I want to look tonight at a story we're very familiar with, but I want to look at it from a different perspective. That's the story of David. We all know the story of David. You know, David was anointed king by uh, the prophet Samuel. While Saul was still king, well, the next day he did not become king. It did not happen. The next thing, you know, the, Samuel didn't pour the horn of oil or the, the horn of oil on his head and then pull out the crown and go, "King David." that did not happen. A lot of times in our lives, God will reveal things that he wants to do in and through us, or there's desires He puts on our hearts. And then the next day, when that doesn't happen, we're like, whoa, what happened? Wait a minute. This is not what I was expecting. And a lot of times, we tie our expectation to God's revelation. And then we judge God based on our expectation rather than his revelation. And we have to be very careful that we're not tying that expectation to revelation. Revelation. The aspect of David becoming king, you know, David was anointed king, and it was 15-plus years, somewhere in that range, before he actually became king. So how does that work? Why didn't God just make him king the next day or that day? And why in the world, if God was going to wait another 15 years, did he even bring it up? Uh, You could have just waited (laughs) and told me later. All these things. So here's the principle I want to talk about tonight in that context of David, and it's going to apply directly to us. And here's the principle. In the kingdom, little is big. In the kingdom, little is big. Big. You know, a lot of times in the natural world, we we look at things that are small, quote unquote, or little, and we dismiss them, we overlook them because they're not big in the net, in in the natural. But in the spiritual, oftentimes the things that are completely missed by the vast majority of people in the natural are put on billboards in the spiritual. And it's that concept of little being big in the kingdom that we have to understand in the context of how God works. And this is exactly what we're going to see in the story of David. That that day when God pulled David out of the the the, the fields to anoint him as king was a, appeared to be a little thing cuz Nobody knew it other than David and his brothers, Samuel and his father. That was it. There was no big pronouncement. There was no parade. There was no celebration. In fact, there wasn't even a crowning. It was just he poured a little oil over his head and everybody went home. Wait a minute. What is that? It appeared little, but I'm telling you in the kingdom, it was huge. Because God had already decided and told Samuel, I have rejected Saul, and I will raise up a king after my own heart who will rule my people. And he sent Samuel to David. So that day, God anoints David king. In the natural, nothing appeared to change. In the spiritual, a, 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 an entire process began of transition and transformation that would literally change the, the entire course of an entire nation. Today, David is considered the greatest king in Israel. Yet that day, nobody even knew his name. But over the next 15 years or so, God began a process of transition and transformation. What was little in the natural was big. In the kingdom. And the key to understanding and and operating in this principle in our lives is faith. Faith. That's it. It's faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently Seek him. Faith is always the key. Jesus always, always pointed out people's faith. Let it be done unto you according to your faith. And when the centurion, he had that interaction with the centurion, Jesus said, I haven't even found this kind of faith in Israel. And here's this soldier from Rome. Faith is always the key. So there's three specific aspects of faith I want to talk about. In order to walk in the principle of in the kingdom, little is big. And here's the three principles, and we'll break them down. Number one, our faith positions us to be used by God. Our faith positions us to be used by God. Number two, our faith prepares us for what God wants to do through us. Our faith prepares us for what God wants to do through us. And then number three, our faith provides encouragement for others to be faithful. Our faith provides encouragement for others to be faithful. And we will see this very thing in the life of David. So let's look at that first one. Our faith positions us to be used by God. David David was just a shepherd boy. Nobody knew who David was. And he was so insignificant when when Samuel went to Jesse, David's father, and said, hey, bring your sons out because God's going to anoint one of them king. He didn't even bring David in. He brought in his other seven brothers. David was left out in the field. That's how insignificant David was. So in the life of David, we see this aspect of faith. One of the things that that David is called is a man after God's own heart. And that aspect of being a man after God's own heart is demonstrated in David's faith. So there's there's three specific aspects of David's faith that we're going to look at. And in this first one, our faith positions us to be used by God. I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 17 and 18. First Samuel 17, 17, and 18. Then Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of the thousands and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. So the context of this is, this is the, the story of Goliath. Okay? Israel has gone out to fight the Philistines. David's, three of David's brothers are part of the Israel's army. They're out there on the field. And back in those days, the, the armies would line up face-to-face across the valley and then go fight each other. Well, in this particular case, Israel lined up, the Philistines lined up, and then this big guy named Goliath came out and said, there's no sense in all of us fighting. You just send your best warrior out here to fight me. If your warrior kills me, then you guys will win. If I kill him, then we'll win. And this this was not just some normal guy. This is, you know, this is like Shaquille O'Neal on steroids. This guy was huge. And Israel, the entire army, not one soldier was willing to fight Goliath. And for 40 days, think about this, for 40 days... Each of the armies would go out, they'd line up, Goliath would come out and challenge, and nobody went anywhere. The entire Israeli army stood there afraid of Goliath. So the whole thing just stopped. For 40 days. That, think about think, what were you doing 40 days ago? <laughs> or what are you going to be doing 40 days from now? That's a long time. That's over a month. Just just going out every day. <clears throat> so here's David. This is at the end of those 40 days. Jesse, his dad, tells him, hey, go go take this food to your brothers. And then come back and tell me what's going on. It's been 40 days. What's going on? Surely there's something happening. So first of all, we know that David was not part of the army. He He was back at home doing what? He did. He was a shepherd. But wait a minute. He's been anointed king of Israel. Why is he not out on the front lines with the army? He's at home dealing with the sheep. Just doing his normal thing. You ever, you ever had the experience that, you know, I know God has something big for me, but, you know, my life is just getting in the way. I just can't seem to get out of the normal routine, you know. I remember when I was in college, uh, you know, the first year of college, you know, it's always exciting and everybody's so excited and, uh, you know, you're a freshman in college. Several of us would joke that our our education was getting in the way of our college experience (laughs) because there's all the other stuff we wanted to do. Well, oftentimes we think life is getting in the way of God's purpose for me. And in the context of David, here's David out tending the sheep when he's supposed to be king of Israel. So here he comes in response to his father's call, and he says, go take this food to your brothers out on the front line. Now, in this context, we do not see David going, whatever, whatever. I should be out there, I'm king, I sh- I'm not king, I, I mean, I'm king, I shouldn't be doing this menial stuff. Go get one of the servants to do it, I'm not doing that. He didn't do that. David responded by obeying his father. In a very simple, menial, what appeared to be absolutely meaningless task. How many many of y'all have ever wondered, what is my spiritual gift? You ever wondered that? And you wonder, how in the world do I discover what my spiritual gift is? Here's one of the aspects of, of spiritual gifts that is common to all of them. Corinthians tells us that the gifts were given for the benefit of all. They're not given for the benefit of the one who has them. And they're not. The gifts of the believer, they're the gifts of the Spirit. They're not our gifts. It's the gifts that God has given me within the context of the Spirit are not mine. They're not for me, they're for others. They're for the building up of the body, they're for me to use to serve. The one characteristic that is common across all the the spiritual gifts is service. To serve in the kingdom, to serve other people, to serve in the context of the church or the community, whatever it is. It's to serve. We're so caught up in what is my spiritual gift, we forget that the common characteristic is to serve. David wasn't sitting around going, Woe is me, I'm king, why am I not king? One of the thing one of the reasons David is called a man after God's own heart is because he was a servant. It wasn't about him. It's not about what's my gift. It's about how can I serve. One of the ways I've discovered my spiritual gifts was not trying to sit around and, you know, there's nothing wrong with a spiritual gift survey and all that and saying, hey, you know, I know I've got this gift, but unless an opportunity opens for this gift, I'm not doing anything else. And David could have done that. Well, unless I'm going to go out and lead the army as king, I'm not taking this. I'm not going to take food out there. That's for a servant. And that's exactly what God's looking for, is a servant. God is more interested in your heart of service than he is in what your gift is. You want to discover what your gift is? Start serving. David's gift was not to to deliver food, he wasn't wasn't uh, an Uber driver delivering food. That was not his gift. Uber eats. That was not his gift. But he did it. Why? Because he had a heart of service. God is more interested in your heart of service than he is in in, in you trying to figure out what your gift is. If you serve, you'll figure out what your gift is. It's not the other way around. You don't find out what your gift is, then go serve. You go serve and you discover what your gift is. And here's the thing, this aspect of David just delivering the food was a menial, insignificant task. It was a little thing. But the aspect of this one little thing is what led him to the biggest victory Israel had seen in its history. But had had David not done this little thing, he wouldn't have met Goliath. He didn't even even know Goliath existed. He had no clue what was going on. He didn't know all this stuff. He didn't go, oh, yeah, I'll take the food. I've been meaning to go out and get that Goliath guy. Mm." It's about time somebody asked me to do something. He didn't know that. All he knew, all in his mind, he knew he was going to go deliver the food and come back and He would be serving in the fields the next day, just as he was that day. He did not know that that menial little thing would be a huge life-changing event for him and for Israel. Too often in our lives, we overlook the little thing. We think, oh, that's below me. Or we may not think that's below me. We may think that it's insignificant. It's not going to make a difference. But here's, here's the problem with that thinking. We want to be involved in the big stuff. Or we want God to fix the big stuff in our lives. But what God wants us to do is to be faithful in the little things. When we are faithful in a little, God will give us something bigger. And then when we're faithful in that bigger thing, he'll give us something even bigger. But if we're not faithful in the little, he can't give us the bigger. And we're all going after the bigger, Amen. but we're overlooking the little. And it's the little that leads us to the bigger. When I first came to this church, my goal was not to stand here before you tonight. That was the furthest thing from my mind. Had absolutely no interest in doing this. In fact, I didn't even want to come to this church, to be honest with you. I was out of church, had no clue, had no interest in being in church. Friend of mine who's on staff now, Pastor Bob Denton, I'd known him for years, said, hey, you got to check out this church. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. And it took them like three months to finally convince me to come. So I came and I sat over here in this section. And I'm like, all right, I'll come, but I'm going to sneak in that back door and I'm going to sneak out. You don't talk to me. I don't talk to you. Everybody's happy. That's all I want to do. And that worked for about a month. No, maybe two months. And at the time I was a former police officer and, Somebody came up to me about two months into me doing that and said, hey, aren't you a cop? Oh, dang it. (laughs) Busted. And then they said, hey, would you work security here for us? Oh, no, I don't want to work security here for you. I just want to sneak in the back door and sneak out because I know if I start working security, I put that uniform on. Guess what? Everybody wants to talk to me. Just like you see, you know, my brothers in blue out there. Everybody knows they're here. I don't want to know everybody over here. I just want to sneak in the back door and sneak out. So I delayed as long as possible, so another month or so, and finally I agreed, okay, fine, I'll serve. Well, that was in January of 2009. I started coming in October, and in January I finally agreed to serve in as just security that's all I wanted to do I didn't want to okay fine I'll work security that's it nothing else don't ask me well, then he said hey why don't you go to the members class That's nah, not happening <laughs> alright fine I'll go to the members class because Bob was teaching he's like just come on in I'm like oh you're killing me so I went to the members class and then he said hey you should probably teach the members class okay now we're getting out of hand here hold on it's enough of that and it just snowballed from there, and here I am, 10 years later, standing in front of you. This was not my plan. It was not my plan at all. I expected to be a former police officer still to this day. I expected to go do something and go right back to my already scheduled life, already in progress. But God had other plans. And here's the thing: for you, God has plans. You have no clue what all of them are. You have no idea the, 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 the depth and the breadth of what those plans are. You don't need to know. All you need to do is be faithful in a little. Do exactly what David did and obey your father in the very little things. That's all you need to do. God will take care of the rest. I didn't need to figure out the pathway to, the, to, to standing in front of you today. I had no clue. There was no way I could have done it anyways. It was way beyond me. So our faith will position us to be used by God. And it begins with the little. You want to know what your spiritual gift is? Serve in the little. There's a million opportunities here at Turning Point Church to serve. You don't have to put in 40 hours a week. You can put in one hour a month. Just serve, just serve, just serve. And if you will do that, you will develop a heart of service, and that is what God is looking for. He's not looking for people with great gifts. He's looking for people with great hearts of service. Because in that type of person, he will put a great gift. It's true. And that's what will make the difference in the kingdom. So just start serving. So that's number one. Our faith positions us to be used by God. Number two, our faith prepares us for what God wants to do through us. Just like, you know, again, we say here at Turning Point Church, you're created on purpose for a purpose. King David was created on purpose for a purpose. He had no clue what that purpose was, but he was created on purpose for a purpose. First Samuel 17, verses 34 through 37. 37. So here's David at the front lines, and he delivers the food, and he starts hearing these rumors about the, you know, this guy named Goliath, and he hears the taunts and all this stuff, and and he's like, what? Who, who is this guy? And then he hears some of the other soldiers saying, you know, this is what King Saul's going to do for the guy who actually goes out and fights Goliath, and finally he gets back to Saul that hey, somebody's actually saying I'll go do this. So they bring David to Saul and David's like where where's he at? Where what? You can't do this. You're a little kid. You're a youth and Goliath's been been a soldier from his youth. You can't do this. And here's what David says to Saul. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. So here we see David and we get an insight into some of his exploits as a shepherd. So there's, there's David out doing his thing as a shepherd. And every now and then, you know, the, in this case, the, the lion and the bear would come out after the sheep. And David would protect the sheep. He had a heart for the sheep. And he was willing to risk... The lion and the bear to protect the sheep, and it was that experience out there in the middle of nowhere. There was nobody. It was him and the sheep. Here's the thing: the, if the bear came and took a sheep, nobody would have known, except for David, the Lord, and probably his dad at some point. But you know, who wouldn't? Who in the right mind would say, "Well, it's a bear"? Of course, she, you know, there's. A, It's just one sheep. Don't worry about it. You know, you don't need to risk your life over a sheep. So there's David doing his thing. And he's being faithful in the area in which he was placed. How many times in our lives... Have we been placed in a position, and maybe you're in a position right now, regardless of where it is, and I'm not just talking about in the church, I'm talking about in every area of your life, your family, your your job, uh, just your circumstances of life. We've been placed there, and we've we've been given a, a, a level of authority or influence, and things go sideways. A bear shows up, or a lion shows up. It would have been easy for David to say, man, can't I just have a good day with just the sheep? I just want to go out, bring the sheep out and come back. I don't need all this bear stuff and this lion stuff. Come on, man. God, what are you doing to me? And we complain about the negative resistance we get in our lives. And we don't realize that God is preparing us for what's yet to come. If there was no bear and there was no lion, there would have been no David to face Goliath. Because David would have went out there and went, whoa, who's that guy? Phew, i got to go home. Because he wouldn't have had the experience of overcoming the bear and the lion. And he recognized in overcoming the bear and the lion that it was not him who did it. He recognized that it was God that delivered him from the bear and the lion. And the same God who delivered him from the bear and the lion would deliver him from Goliath. So now, it doesn't matter how big the enemy is because he knows how big his God is. So in our lives... In the things we face, face, the challenges we face, the struggles we go through, God is not allowing them to destroy you. He's allowing them to develop you into the type of person who knows who their God is. Because it's that knowledge that you will need one day. Because those private victories that you're fighting right now, that bearing that line that was in private, one day will prepare you for a public victory. And that public victory was not about David. It was about the entire nation. It was about the entire kingdom that he one day would rule over. You know, it's easy sometimes to overlook the importance of overcoming our demons. We have a program here at Turning Point Church called Celebrate Recovery. Now, it's a 12-step, Christian-based 12-step program, and a lot of people think, oh, that's drugs and alcohol and all that stuff. Well, it's a lot more than that. You know, we talk about the hurts, habits, and hang-ups of life. Everybody's got something that they're dealing with. Everybody's got something that we're deal- that they're dealing with, Sometimes our biggest bear and lion is not external it's internal. It's the stuff we have to deal with. And we you know we wonder why didn't God just deliver me of this? Oh he he's going to deliver you from that but he's going to do it in a way that you know who he is. Because had God delivered David, from the bear and the lion, by keeping them away, David would have never known who God was. and he would never had the boldness and courage to face Goliath. And one of the things the church in this culture today is missing is boldness and courage. We are woefully missing men and women of faith with boldness and courage. To stand up to the Goliaths of our culture. On, amen. And God is looking for men and women who are willing to fight the bear and the lion. You know, we all like, oh man, I'd love to go out there and fight the culture. But we're hiding in the corner from the bear and the lion. You can't get to Goliath until you fight the bear and the lion. And God is allowing the bear and the lion to hang around until you're willing to stand up against it. That's why a lot of these things are hanging around in our lives. is because we're trying to avoid them. David didn't run around the tree and hide from the bear. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn you at all. You know, if, if that's where you're at, oh, okay. Now you realize, okay, God's not sending the bear and the lion or allowing the bear and the lion in my life. To destroy me. I missed that. I, I, I got off on. Okay. Great. Let's stand up. Starting today. Let's make that commitment. To face the bear and the lion. Today. Because it's not too late. If you're still alive. It's not too late. God hasn't given up on you. You can still overcome. The bear and the lion. You know it would be easy to say. Well I, you know. Man you know if I would just done this five years ago. From God's perspective, it is five years ago. God knew you'd be sitting here tonight and listening to this message. And God knows exactly what bears and lions are in your life. And he's saying, okay, it's five years ago from my perspective. Because in five years, I've got a Goliath I want you to face. So today, let's talk about the bear and the lion. Because in overcoming the bear and the lion, you don't just discover who the bear and the lion is. You discover who God is. And you develop boldness and courage. Because the way our culture is going, boy, are we going to need a bold and courageous church. We are absolutely going to need that. But the way you get there is by fighting your bear and your lion. Your bear and your lion. Your private battles. Because at some point, God's going to put you on the public stage and I don't necessarily mean you're standing in front of 10 million people I mean public in the sense that other people see it maybe it's just your family maybe it's your small group maybe it's somebody at work and we're going to talk about that third part here in a second but we have to have that fight against the the lion and the bear it's not going I'm telling you right now it's not going to go away you can hide hide in the sand all you want (laughs) The bear and the lion are not going away because the Lord is allowing them to be there to prepare you for the Goliath. We have to remember that a victim mindset will never produce a victor lifestyle. We are not victims. The gospel of Jesus Christ has already turned you into a victor, you are not a victim. The teeth of the lion have been removed. The only thing the lion can do is roar in your face that you're a victim and get you to try and believe it. That's it. You are not a victim. Don't allow the enemy to deceive you. You're the only one who can believe that. Either believe it or don't. It's up to you. But remember... The victim mindset will never lead or produce a victor lifestyle. So that is number two. Our faith prepares us for what God wants to do through us. And then finally, number three, our faith provides encouragement for others to be faithful. So in 1 Samuel 17, verses 48 through 50, David goes out. And he, he goes after Goliath. And it says this. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. So David goes out. He kills the Philistine. You know what happened next? Every single soldier on that field grabbed their gear and ran after the Philistines. And they routed the Philistines. Sure the catalyst for the other soldiers to exercise their faith was David. For 40 days, they stood on the sidelines, petrified. No, I mean, the entire army was paralyzed for 40 days. And here's this one kid. Shows up and goes, I'll do it. Goes out, defeats Goliath. Everybody's in shock. And they realize, what in the world are we doing? And here's this kid defeats this guy we've been petrified of, they grab all their gear and they go out and they defeat the entire army of the Philistines. God uses our little faith to encourage and motivate others. And I say little in quotes because there's no such thing as little faith. This is why Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain." be removed and thrown into the sea and it will happen. David's faith was based on a bear and a lion. It wasn't based on him having experience in the military. It was this little faith of this little kid. And it changed the entire course of the the nation. So on a micro level, David didn't appear to have a lot of influence. And on a micro level, we look at ourselves as if, oh, what can I do? What does my faith have anything to do with the kingdom? There's nothing I can do. It's not going to make any difference. You know, if I'm faithful in my job or faithful in the church or faithful in, in obeying whatever the Lord tells me, that's not going to make any difference. But here's the thing. The micro faith of God's people is the raw material he will use to bring about his macro plans. We don't have to worry about the macro. We don't have to worry about the big stuff. We didn't, David didn't have to worry about ru- routing the entire army. All he had to do was face Goliath. And oftentimes we look at the big picture we look at what's going on in the culture we turn on the news and we're like it's too big i kid there's nothing i can do we'll just retreat into the corner and say jesus come back jesus come back but jesus is saying well until i do come back let's go get out there it is incumbent upon us to be faithful in the little And it's that conglomeration, it's that raw material of the people of God in the little that God will mold together for the big. How does God change a nation? One person at a time. One believer at a time. One faith-filled believer at a time. In the middle of the, the Roman Catholic dominance of Europe, there was one man that went, you know, there's not much I can do. But you know what? I've, I've had, had it. it. And he went and he nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church. He said, I can't stand this anymore. And that was a means of, of calling for a debate it was a means of making a public declaration at this at that time and we're all sitting here because of him his name was martin luther he was the catalyst for the protestant reformation that literally changed the entire world had this one priest he was a catholic priest all he did was nail his 95 theses to the door. Said, "I've had enough. I can't handle it anymore." He exercised some little faith. I mean, how much faith? It's you know, there's a lot of faith in the sense that he knew he'd probably be excommunicated, and it was too big for him all by himself. But little did he know that that one act would be the catalyst by which God would reform. His entire church. Hallelujah. Seriously. Amen. The the whole reason we're here, we're called Protestants, is because of Martin Luther. He did that one thing. And it appeared to be a a, a, a micro act of faith. But God had different ideas. You know, the one boy who had the, the, the fish and the loaves, oh, pff, I don't know, here you go. I don't know, there's not much you can do with this. God's not limited by small. All he wants is faith. That's all he wants. It's, the size of your faith is irrelevant. Faith is not measured in size. It just is. Faith is faith. Your entire eternal destiny has been changed because of faith. The reason you're going to heaven and not hell is because of faith. The reason your whole life changed is because of faith. I and mean, God's just looking, all he needs is one the most important number in the kingdom is one. It's one. It's the individual. It's all he needs is one. Because in the case of David, his one single act of faith changed the entire course of of the nation. And it then set him on a path that God had prepared in advance for him that eventually led him to become king. Because Saul went, who in the world was that? Who is that kid? And then the Lord sent a an evil spirit to Saul. And they said, well, why don't you bring in a musician? Well, guess who was a musician? Well, that would be David. And the Lord positioned David in with Saul. And of course... You know, the, uh, the, the, the women of Israel would start to sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. How did that happen? All because he was faithful to kill the lion and the bear and take some bread and cheese to his brothers. Little things that in the kingdom had a big, big impact. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So in the kingdom, little is big. And here are the three keys as we close. Number one, our faith positions us to be used by God. Number two, our faith prepares us for what God wants to do through us and number three, our faith provides encouragement for others to be faithful. Every single one of us in here tonight can position ourselves, can pre- prepare ourselves, and be providers for others. And all it takes is faith. Just faith. So I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what you're facing personally. Internally or externally, I don't know. But what I do know is in the kingdom, little is big. And that little exercise of faith, regardless of what it is, is what can set you on a pathway of destiny in the kingdom of God. So here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you. As we close, I want to give you a challenge I want you to think, just think for a minute where you are. Think of your circumstances. Think of what you're facing. And are you willing tonight to exercise faith in that situation on a micro level? Don't worry about the macro. God's already got the macro taken care of. That's not an issue. He wants you Faithful on a micro level. So if you're willing to do that, and this is, this is not about me. This is about you and God. This is between you and God. And you're answering this between you and the Lord. So tonight, if you're willing to exercise your micro faith in order for God to put it together in a macro way that he sovereignly determines is necessary, I want you to stand. I want you to stand. So this is between you and the Lord. It's not about me, it's not about anybody else. It's just between you and the Lord. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you, first of all, just, just for the fact that the only way we even have faith is because you've given it to us. Lord, I thank you, Father, that it is is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So tonight, Father, you see each and every person. And Lord, not just their, their feet and whether they've stood or not. Lord, you see their heart. You see what is in them. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, you would encourage each and every person here tonight. Lord, you would encourage them that they have the necessary faith to take that micro action. And Lord, give them the, the, the confidence to know that you've already, you, you will take care of the macro problems. So, Lord, I pray. Right now, Lord, that in whatever micro act of faith that that each person needs to take tonight, Lord, that through that action, Lord, you would build in them a boldness and confidence. You would reveal yourself mighty on their behalf. They would see that it is you that fights for them. Lord, it is you who is the deliverer. And Lord, you will deliver them from whatever it is that they're dealing with, whether it's personally, internally, or externally. And Lord, through that act of faith, Lord, you will position them to be used by you. Lord, you will use it to prepare them for what plans you have for them. And Lord, you'll use it to prepare others to exercise their faith. So Lord, despite what we see, despite what we hear, despite what we think or what we, what we feel, Lord, we know that you're in control. Just like you were that day when Goliath stood there and taunted the army of the living God. Lord, you were in control. Despite the the soldiers, and even the king, King Saul, wondering how in the world are we going to get through this. Lord, you had a plan. And you exercised that plan. And you brought victory. And Lord, I thank you that through the cross of Jesus Christ, every single one of us in here tonight is a victor in Jesus' name. There is absolutely no reason for us to ever think we're victims. And Lord, I pray that you would just shout that into the hearts of every single person that they are victors in Jesus' name. So Lord, I pray for every person here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would continue to sovereignly orchestrate all the circumstances of life in such a way that they know that they're they're not victims, but victors in Jesus' name. So tonight, Father, we thank you in advance. For the deliverance. Lord, we thank you in advance that you already have a plan and a purpose and you already have the means by which you will bring this about, Lord. We don't need to know how, we just need to know who. So tonight, Father, we just, we declare that you are that who. And Lord, in all of this, in each each and every single act of micro faith, and Lord, in every act of macro macro deliverance, Lord, you would get the glory. And that the name of Jesus would be declared. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Give the Lord a hand tonight.